Today's episode is brought to you by Folkware. Since 1976, Folkware has provided high-quality sewing patterns based on authentic vintage and folk clothing from around the world. Folkware sewing patterns are loved by home sewists, costumers, reenactors, and anyone who loves to sew with creativity. Order yours today and use the code WSN20 at checkout to get 20% off your order. Thank you so much, Folkware. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 121 of the Wall She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we are talking about art as community organizing with my guest, Shannon Downey. Shannon is an instigator. Currently, she's the Director of Development for Asian Americans Advancing Justice in Chicago, where she raises funds to grow and protect immigrant and refugee rights and power through civic engagement and language access. She's also adjunct faculty at Columbia College and DePaul University, where she teaches creatives how to build empires that will pay the bills and change the world. But Shannon is also best known by her alias, Badass Cross Stitch, where her shenanigans tend to get the most attention. In this role, Shannon is a community organizer disguised as a fiber artist and craftivist. She blends politics, activism, and art into projects that are designed to inspire others to take action, think, discuss, engage with democracy and their community, and find some digital analog balance to boot. Her work has recently been featured in Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, Time, and Money, to name a few. Shannon Downey, welcome. Thank you so much. I am so excited to talk with you. And we recently met uh, virtually <laughs> uh, via email um, when we discovered that you are originally from a town that is not too far away from where I live now in the Boston area. That's so true. Uh, so Boston where, is my roots. Yeah. Where are you originally from? I'm from Weymouth, Massachusetts. Okay. So, South Shore. South Shore. And your grandmother, I think, was a Lowell Mill girl? Yeah, she absolutely was. Um, she was a Lowell Mill girl from, you know, she was 13 when she started and in her 70s when she retired. And then um, she actually met my grandfather in the mills. He was a bobbin boy. Wow. So do you want to talk a little bit about, for people who don't know what the Lowell Mills were and um, what that kind of work involved. I've been there to visit and you can still mm -hmm. go and visit and see it's like a, a museum now. Um, and there's a popular field trip for people who live in Massachusetts. But for people who aren't familiar with New England, what is that? Yeah, the Lowell Mills was sort of the um, hub of the Industrial Revolution in the U.S. as it relates to like women in the industry, right? So it was the first time that um, women were um, given a role as like sort of and, and sent away from 
you know, their families and their farms to work in these, um, these industry towns that were created, um, in order to create textiles. And so, um, my actual, actually, so now it's, it's actually the only, I believe the only urban, um, national park in the U S now. Wow. Right. Okay. And so my, but my first time actually visiting since it, you know, wasn't a functioning mill was, um, last year, uh, to go and, and see the exhibits and go through the functioning mill, you know, the exhibit portion of the functioning mill at this point. And it was, it was so powerful. It was really neat to be in there because I'd never been in the mills, despite my grandmother working there. You, we just sort of like picked her up and, you know, at the end of a day. Um, but to go in and see and, and just experience how loud it is and how intense it is, it was, it was really neat. Yeah, it was an incredibly loud um, place when all of the the looms were going. Yeah, um, I do remember that. So, um, okay, and and in your own sort of fiber life, you learned how to cross stitch when you were in elementary school in fifth grade. I did. Yeah. And do you want to talk about that first project your teacher taught you? Yeah, my fifth grade teacher. Um, she taught four of us. We I went to a small. Catholic school. And so there were only like, you know, 12 people in my class. Um, and we, we had one teacher all day. And so they decided that they would do some, you know, like an art day and you could pick what classes you wanted to take. And so I thought I would learn how to cross stitch. And so the first stitch I made was a pink bunny. And I thought, well, this is stupid. I'm like, (laughs) it's a pink bunny. And then I went to, um, like a, craft store and I found this pattern and it was a little toilet. It said, you know, if you sprinkle when you tinkle, please wipe up the seat. And I got a real kick out of that. And I thought, well, maybe there's something, you know, something to this for me. (laughs) (laughs) So that hung in our bathroom for, you know, years. Um, I'm impressed that you, I'm impressed you finished it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it was, it it was funny and it was going up. Uh Okay. So, So I was finishing it. Um, but you know, I didn't really touch it again, um, till five or six years ago. Okay. And then, um, and I know you've said that you were sort of an activist since birth. And I wondered whether you had models of activism in your family, like were, were people in your family, you know, sort of talking about politics or were there like union organizers in your family where people mm-hmm. were people sort of into that or were you kind of alone in your in your activism? Oh, no, every well, my parents, my grandparents, like it's it runs deep. Um, my my grandmother, my maternal grandmother was, you know, a little mill girl. So in the industrial revolution. And then my other grandmother was an actual Rosie the Riveter. Um, So there's this like, you know, powerful women history running through the family. And my, my dad is, uh, well, has since retired, but was in the um, Boston Pipefitters Union for his entire career and, and was president of the union for four years. So I definitely grew up like on a picket line, there was a lot of organizing happening around me. There was a major um, labor movement um, m- moment in the um, in the 80s around uh, a ballot measure, and so my home became the hub um, for all organizing around that. And we were on the picket line for almost a whole year. Um, so yeah, I mean it. It's definitely 
genetic at this point. And what do you remember specifically about that? I mean, do you remember, do you have any specific memories about that or about how it made you feel like as a kid, you know, in, in sort of watching all of that unfold in your household and in your family and watching your family members being affected by it? Absolutely. It was, um, there was always so much sort of like fun and joy in it even though it was such like an intense topic and there was a lot of um, intensity around it and opinions around it. Um, but for me as a kid, it was like, there were always people in my house who were making all sorts of signs and that was super fun. And then, you know, there were always like, there was always good food around because there were always people coming in and out. And then, you know, we got to go stand on the picket line and, and people would drive by and beep and we'd wave and cheer. And, you know, it was really it was just really joyous. Um, and then when they, you know, when that particular measure, we, we won that measure, um, just the, the community that had grown out of it then became like a community that stuck. Right. And, and we spent a lot of time together. Um, and then the other pieces that, uh, my parents were always like poll monitors for voting. Um, and so getting to go to the polls was always really exciting because it was this sort of like fun family activity and there was always like candy and stickers and people that I hadn't seen in a long time and dogs and, you know, like it's so silly to think about, um, you know, how we're there doing this really important thing. But as a kid, I remember like just how much fun it was and what a like novelty it was. Right. I mean, you know, as a kid, whatever your family is doing is normal, right? Like you don't yes. know, you don't know anything different, you know? Totally. <laughs> um, and so that's just totally normal. Um, but it does sort of the values that are um, part of it um, sort of become imbued and into your values and become, so it's sort of, it, it does become part of you uh, over time. And, you know, my dad was in the Peace Corps um, in Peru on uh, the third year of the Peace Corps. And the stories that he used to tell about you know, the people he worked with, he was involved in setting up micro lending programs, um, mm -hmm. certainly helped me when I was in high school and in early years of college feel like I need to do Teach for America and go and like work with people in underserved communities. You know, it definitely um, made me sort of radicalize in that same way. And, I, and mm. I think that, you know, it does, it sort of seeps in the way that your parents talk to you about their values. It seeps into become your values. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, all right. So you, um, you then went on, uh, I know you ran a digital strategy um, company for a long time, and now you have this job um, working in Chicago. And I wonder if you want to tell us a little bit about what you do now. <clears throat> sure. So I'm the director of development for a, a nonprofit organization called Asian Americans Advancing Justice Chicago. Um, and what we do is uh, power building through collective advocacy and organizing in order to um, like we're working on uh, racial equity. Okay. And director of development is like fundraising. That's what my husband does. So I understand. Yeah. I'm in charge <laughs> of all the money. <laughs> and that's a Not really, spending it, just getting it. Yes. It's a really important <laughs> job and it's a hard job too. Yes. Um, and then you also do some teaching at some universities as well. I do. I love that so much. I mean, I love everything I do. Okay. <laughs> teaching at Columbia in particular is just, just such a great joy. And what kind of courses are you teaching right now? 
Um, they're mainly like business and entrepreneurship classes for, for creatives. Okay. Um, yeah. They're super fun. We're by the end of each semester, we've each student has built a business plan and is like ready to launch a business. It's, it's really neat. That's terrific. Okay. That sounds really cool. Um, mm-hmm. and then you have badass cross stitch, which is how I know you. Um, and how I think a lot of people probably know you. And, um, I kind of scrolled way, way, way back in your Instagram. <laughs> and, uh, like a couple of things were striking to me. First of all, um, one of them was that, um, it used to be really more cross stitch and now it seems yeah more embroidery, which is interesting to me. Like, I don't know whether you've noticed that change. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. And I wonder <laughs> if you could speak just a little bit about why you think that is. Um, well, I only knew how to cross stitch, right? So <laughs> I was cross stitching a lot. And then um, as I started to sort of like get back into it or get into it, um, you know, I was like, man, cross stitch takes forever. There's got to be different solutions here. <laughs> like, <laughs> And honestly, like, you know, you're sort of limited if you're only cross stitching. Um, there's, there's sort of one look to it. Right. Um, and so I started to teach myself different embroidery stitches, um, which I actually then sort of launched this project called the year of stitch, where each week I taught myself a new embroidery stitch. And then I taught everybody else online with like, um, an illustration I had done and then like a photo sort of essay of how to do each stitch and then how to apply it in different ways. Um, So at the end of that year, I had uh, taught myself and others um, 52 stitches. And then I really had like a a whole bunch of um, ammunition for creating some really cool stuff. Right. Okay. So that's how you basically learn how to embroider as a result of, <laughs> of, uh, of that project. Okay. That sounds really cool. So, um, so that was one thing that was really striking to me. And I also saw, I mean, I think it was always irreverent from the very beginning, you know, um, and, and it sounds like even from fifth grade, it was kind of irreverent, <laughs> um, but it really became activist, um, yeah. at a certain point. And it's now super activist, especially since you've built this massive, following. And we're going to talk about how that came to be because there's been some really big, I don't know if you would call them wins or like viral happenings (laughs) that have taken place that have been totally fascinating, the trajectory. So I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but the first one I think was sort of about gun violence. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. That was the um, my end gun violence project. Okay. That was just so sort of a small one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So and that was the be- that was sort of the first taste of like. Yes. Uh, okay. So talk a little bit about that one, sort of how it came to be and what the project entailed. Sure. Um, so my my fiance started and runs a program called Project Fire, which works with young people in Chicago who've been the victims of gun violence and teaches them how to blow glass as art therapy and as employment. They get paid to be in the program and they partner with um, like a a hospital-based therapy organization and they come in and, and so for each class that they're doing this glass blowing and learning glass blowing, they're also getting, uh, they do like a, a group therapy and they get wraparound services and all sorts of amazing things. So I am around the topic of gun violence a lot in addition to the fact that I live in Chicago where it's just like rampant. Um, and I 
so I decided that I would, you know, stitch a gun one night. Um, I had, I had spent the day logging how many times I heard said or read the word gun in a day. And at the end of that day, it was 72 times. And I thought, Oh my God, no wonder I'm so overwhelmed by this. And so I, I often stitch to process. Um, so I sat down and I, I stitched a gun and I never stitched a gun before. It was like way outside of my, my comfort and purview. Um, but I was like, I'm going to post it and, and see what people, how people react to it. Um, and you know, of course my comments were around like why I did it and you know, what I was thinking about when I was stitching it. And then organically people started to ask me if I would turn it into a pattern so that they could stitch one because they've been thinking about gun violence a lot. And then as people started to stitch them and tag me, I was like, man, these are awesome. I wonder what they're going to do with them. So I was like, Hey, what are you going to do with those? They're like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, cool. Would you, would you send them to me? And people just were like, yeah. And I was like, I'll do something. I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but you know, I'll do something cool with them. So then I turned it, I decided, okay, this is going to be a project. Um, and so I partnered with Project Fire and I said, let's, let's have a gallery show. So I asked people to send me, um, and, and so then I got intentional about it and turned it into a project. And I asked people to stitch a fiber-based gun, um, so whatever that meant to them, and send them to me. And, but I, you know, I only had about six months uh, to, to, you know, collect these. And so people were sort of rapid stitching and sending them to me. Um, and at the end of the six months, we had over 200 from all over the world. And we put on a gallery show. Um, and we, you know, with permission, sold all of the pieces. And the, the young people from Project Fire had all of their glass art out. And, um, and so that opening night, we had um, over 500 people show up in what was definitely like the tiniest gallery ever. So it's really amusing. <laughs> um, but we were able to sell every piece and raise $5,000 and fund the next semester of Project Fire. Nice. Lovely. Yeah. And a little it's bit good. of uh, development work in there. Um, yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stop myself. Of course. Um, right. Okay. Wonderful. So that was kind of a, you know, a community-based stitching-related you know, activism event um, that was organized primarily through Instagram, right? Yeah. Um, and was there like a hashtag or I don't know how yeah, you... Yeah, ha the hashtag was end gun violence. End gun violence. Okay, great. All right. Um, all right. So so that was probably pretty inspiring, um, I'm, I'm guessing, for you. And, um, and then I don't know whether I, the order you know, the sort of order of, I'm, I'm not necessarily going in the order of that you made things, but maybe the order of sure. virality or, or mm -hmm. the, the, the media attention, maybe. <laughs> um, but I it was the next big one, the Women's March one. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, I'm just trying to make sure I get things right. <laughs> okay. You're doing great. <laughs> All right. Yay. Um, so, uh, so this one was, it was really pretty huge. So um, so the Women's March was the day after the inauguration, um, and you were there. You had made this embroidery hoop, this giant embroidery hoop. I think it was three feet. Yeah. And you stitched a message on it. And first, I have to ask you where you found a three-foot embroidery <laughs> hoop. Amazon.com. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I just – I literally Googled, like, world's biggest embroidery hoop to see what would happen. 
<laughs> and I found one and I was like, yep, there it is. Okay. It was only like 30 bucks. So <laughs> <laughs> like, that's great. All right. So, so you knew you were going to go to the, so you went to DC for this, right? You went to. No, the, no. I stayed in Chicago. Okay. So this was yeah. at the Chicago March is where yes. you went. Okay. So, and you knew you wanted to make a special sign. So it's kind of talk us through this process of like how you came up with this concept. Yeah, well, I was brainstorming messages and just I I was like stuck for days because there were just like a million different angles. And I was just like, ah, oh, you know, um, healthcare, ah, uh, you know, feminism, huh? Right? Like <laughs> there's so many angles. <laughs> like I, and and then at one point I was like, I'm just so angry. And I was like, I can't pick anything because I'm just so angry about all of it. And that's when I was like, oh, maybe that's my message. It's just like I, I couldn't pick something because I'm so angry. Um, and so then I started to play around with that. And um, and then I was I was stitching and I thought, oh, I wonder if I could stitch this sign. That would be cool. Because originally my thought was that I was going to like hand draw a stitched sign, you know, like draw it so it looked like it was cross-stitched. And I was like, wait a minute, why don't I just actually stitch it? So that's when I Googled like world's biggest embroidery hoop. And I was like, oh, I'm doing this. Um, and so when once I got the hoop, that's when the message came to me. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. And uh, so the message was, I'm so angry. I stitched this just so I could stab something 3,000 times. And, and that is exactly how I felt. <laughs> I want to take a minute now to talk a little bit about our sponsor, Folkwear. Started by three women in California in the 1970s, Folkwear is one of the oldest indie sewing pattern companies in the United States. Folkwear has over 90 sewing patterns currently in print and several available as PDFs. All their patterns are based on authentic vintage and folk clothing from around the world. From a Japanese kimono to an Australian dirndl and a Victorian shirt to a 1950s at-the-hop skirt, the patterns span hundreds of years and more than 30 countries. Each pattern has a beautifully illustrated cover and includes well-written sewing instructions. The patterns also include historic and geographic and cultural information about the garment and how it was traditionally made or worn. Their patterns are perfect for beginners and for advanced sewers. Folkwear patterns also often include instructions for optional handwork. So if you want to learn embellishments such as traditional embroidery or applique, the patterns show you how, providing detailed instructions on embellishing. Folkwear's featured pattern of the month for May are 261 Paris promenade dress and 119 cerules. The Paris promenade dress is a pullover afternoon dress from the 1920s that flatters any figure and includes a pattern for a small handbag and instruction for making decorative cord and tassels. The Sarules pattern consists of sewing patterns for comfortable and timeless pants from three geographic regions, Turkey, Africa, and India. 
Historic and cultural information about the pants is included, as well as traditional cuff embroidery designs and instructions. So cool. Folkwear's blog often highlights patterns, handwork, and sewing techniques. The blog also follows owner Molly's travels, especially when they include textiles, fabric, sewing, or crafting. So sign up for Folkwear's newsletter on the website, www.folkwear.com, to get a textile and sewing information-filled newsletter twice a month. You can also follow Folkwear on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram, and Twitter. Shop Folkwear patterns at many local sewing and pattern shops, or go online to www.folkwear.com, that's F-O-L-K-W-E-A-R.com, and listeners to the Walsh Naps podcast get 20% off their order on the website using the coupon code WS and 20 at checkout. So go try one out and see what you think of these super cool patterns. Thank you so much, Folkwear. And now back to my conversation with Shannon. And did you stitch it in yarn or like, how did you make it bold enough? I used floss and I just like, I, I just, I just stabbed that thing until it was <laughs> thick enough and powerful enough. And There's was it, of- I feel like it was red. Was it red? Yeah, the fabric was red. And then I stitched in black. In black mm-hmm. on red. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And so, and then did you finish the back? Um, no. I mean, you know, I I stitched it all together so that it was closed in the back. Okay. But, yeah. All right. So you show up at the march. You've got this big hoop. Yeah. And you're kind of just like holding it, what, like above your head sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was a really good arm workout. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. <laughs> and you're walking around. And did you, so it was like one of the most photographed signs of like the entire like mart, like the entire women's mart. I feel like it was, am I right? Like, I don't. It was really overwhelming. Like I, I could not step two feet uh, at the mart, which was like super fun. Right. So like, I just. I just like pasted a smile on my face and just held the sign and like <laughs> people were just taking pictures as I walked through the march. It was just really funny. So you knew like right away that it was something like something special was happening. I mean, people love like people on site were very connected to it because they they were just excited to see this like stitch sign and that, you know, this funny message. Um, and there were so many great messages and so much like humor uh, in so many signs at that march, and then the like sort of unexpected layer of it being this giant embroidery hoop with a, um, you know, with a message connected to that was, I think it was just like, you know, one of those moments where people were like, oh, that's awesome, and then wanted to take a picture of it, and then we would start conversations, and then everyone was marching together, and it was just uh, it was so neat. And I think, you know, I also think because so many people had made something for that march, right? Like so many people in the week 
or two weeks leading up to that March had been to a knitting shop or had yes. been to a craft store mm-hmm. or had been to a neighbor's house, you know, or had been to their mom's house or their sister's house and had sat there and tried to remember how to knit or cast yeah. on or crochet or like yes. how to like sew, you know, this piece of fleece or whatever it was yeah, to totally. make the pussy hat, right? Like so many yes. people had tried to craft who maybe Mm -hmm. hadn't crafted in a long time um that it was it kind of had this like craft sort of ethos was in the air and so maybe then seeing your crafted uh, granted it was in a different medium but i wonder whether there was that as well like it resonated because of that as well yeah what a great observation i hadn't considered that before okay i wonder all right so um after the march itself um there was were like media outlets contacting you like what happened about no it was just sort of everywhere okay and um and then like all things it was over okay yeah it was just that you know it was like cool there was there was that moment for that piece done okay (laughs) now is that all right. Yeah. Got it. Okay. All right. So there was, that was like sort of number two. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. And then, um, and then there was boys will be boys. Yeah. That was the, the big one. Okay. That was number three and maybe the big one. All right. So, and I actually think this one is a really, really interesting story. It's, it's kind of an ongoing story in a way. It's, it's a really interesting story um, because it kind of, goes in a circle. I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. So (laughs) it's it's sort of, okay. So you, you made this, um, you made this actually beforehand, you made this, um, when the access Hollywood tapes, um, came out, right? So this was actually made physically made before the election. Yeah. Yes. October, early October. Okay. In 2016. Right. So you just want to describe what it is. Um, yeah, it's a, a stitch it says boys will be boys and the bottom line is crossed out and and then stitched over and it says held accountable for their effing actions but effing is actually yeah yeah effing is spelled out okay got it okay all right so you made that um when the access hollywood tapes came out but it didn't go viral until later um and did you make a second version of it later or was it the same one no, it was the it was the same exact photo and piece from Instagram um, that a few celebrities picked up um, and used for around the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Um, so the minute that a couple of celebrities got a hold of it, and I have no idea how, um, and it wasn't because you had reposted it; it was just that. No, no, I hadn't reposted anything. Um, it just somebody picked it up. And then uh, some celebrities picked it up and then like many celebrities picked it up and then it just went bananas from there. Okay. So, so right. So later, so sort of when Me Too kind of happened some, and do you remember kind of who the first celebrity was or some of the celebrities were? Yeah. I think the biggest initial kickoff was Tracy Ellis Ross. Okay. And do you remember anybody else who, who picked it up? Yeah, I mean, uh, Rose McGowan put it out, Zoe Kravitz, um, Colin Hanks, and on and on. Okay. 
All right. So we got picked up all over the place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and so then it, so it, it went viral, right? Like that, would that yeah, be, that would definitely. be a definition of viralism, yeah. right? On the <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was so. everywhere, right? Like it, it, was. it literally went everywhere. Um, and like, how did that feel for you? Like what, 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 what was happening for you at, at that time? Um, I found it, I mean, at first I found it really ironic that, um, you know, like I created it, uh, back in October thinking like, oh, here's the moment. Here's the moment where he, like Trump has been revealed and he will not be elected president. And then he was, and it was so, you know, it was just so deflating and confusing. And so then a year later to have it go viral and to see that, that somebody was actually being held accountable for their actions. You know, Weinstein was being held accountable and called out and that there was like actual impact. It was, it was one of those moments where you're like, oh man, had celebrity picked this up back in October, would something have been different or was it just, you know, this was the image that worked for how they were feeling at in that moment, you know, you just look back and you sort of just wonder about timing. Um, but when it, when it went the second, the, you know, the real time, the second time, the Weinstein time, um, what at first I was like, Oh, that's, that's cool. You know, like people are seeing this, they're connecting to it. Um, but, but the part when everything shifted was when all of, um, all of the women who used it as the illustration for their me too stories, Right. So they were they were coming out with these really powerful, incredibly brave stories and using that image to, you know, accompany that and tagging me and, you know, citing me. And so then I felt this incredible responsibility to, like, read all of them and to comment and to say something to them because I just felt like it couldn't go unnoticed. Um, And so that's when it shifted from like, oh, that's neat to like, oh, wow, this is incredible. I'm so, um, it, it, it was no longer mine, right? Like that piece isn't mine anymore. And it's, it's theirs and it's theirs and everyone who's used it, um, in a way to speak their truth. So, so that's when, that's when that shifted from it being like, oh, that's cool to, oh, wow, that's incredibly powerful and no longer, about me or, you know, my connection to that piece. But then it was co-opted in a different way. <laughs> Indeed it was. <laughs> so, so what happened next? Um, a UK fashion company that makes, uh, you know, fast fashion, um, took it and stitched it onto the bu- pocket of a pair of skinny jeans used my name in the product description, um, used copy like parrot with a, um, bodysuit and pair of boots for the ultimate babe vibes and sold them for, you know, 22 pounds without my permission, of course. (laughs) So at that point, um, people started to come to me to say like, Hey, did you, partner with this like 
UK fashion company to like make these jeans? And I was like, what are you talking about? And then they, you know, folks called, called my attention to it. I was like, wow, yeah, no, they do not have permission to do that. So that's interesting. Um, and it sort of evolved from there. Okay. So you launched or people helped launch a sort of reaction campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I was trying to contact them and then we had a conversation, the UK company, and it was you know really disappointing. And so I, I got a lawyer and drafted a letter and I just like, I started to, um, you know, but as I mentioned, like I processed everything through, through stitching. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to stitch about this one tonight. And, um, and as I started to think about it, I was like, actually, it'd be really funny for me personally, if I stitched my message onto a pair of my jeans. So I pulled out my best skinny jeans and stitched onto the butt pocket. Um, the resistance will be paired with a bodysuit and boots for the ultimate vibe vibes. And then I recreated the photo, um, which is just a like really funny ass shot of these jeans, me and them. And, um, and then I posted them. And, and then I like couldn't stop. So then I, cause I was like, oh, I have so many messages. So I think I made like four pairs before I was like, okay, that was fun. But I, like, I don't have any more jeans left. <laughs> and then, but folks kept asking like, how can I support? How can I support? Or saying like, I want je- I want those jeans. I want those jeans. And I'm like, you guys, like, we're not, we're not making jeans and commodifying this. Um, but then I was like, actually you should make jeans too. And so I put a tutorial on my website and then I shared it with everyone. And I was like, if you want to make a pair of jeans, you totally should. And then we will have a whole campaign around this. And then I asked them what what we should name it. And uh, two folks came up with rebuttal. And I just thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Um, And so that had to be the name, uh, you know, with but being in all caps. and then folks started, folks just jumped in right away. And now there's like many hundreds of them online and they are and amazing. What, and what do they say? I mean, it's funny because a lot of them started with things like, you know, pay artists or, you know, my, you don't own my art and, you know, things around this, this sort of similar message to, to what I was putting out there around the copyright infringement issue. Um, and then folks took it like to some really fun, like feminist messaging around, like impervious to the male gaze or, I love you that. know, like, oh, <laughs> that's my favorite. Um, or, you know, just strong as hell or, you know, just different message, like power messages. Um, and, and they just keep getting more clever and more elaborate. And it's just been so much fun to watch I, people participate I actually, in. I may stitch impervious to the male gaze on the butt Please. of my jeans. <laughs> Please do. (laughs) Hashtag rebuttal. (laughs) That's fabulous. Right. Okay. And so this is sort of ongoing. It's not, it's sort of not over. It's definitely not over. (laughs) And, and kind of subsequent from that um, on Badass Cross Stitch, I feel like you've sort of just been doing, just been stitching some different messages and talking about sort of highlighting some different issues or people who you just sort of feel need attention, whether it's in the US or worldwide, people, you know, who may be the underdog or who are doing things that, or are victims of things that, you know, you feel like maybe 
um, aren't getting the attention that they deserve and you're just sort of stitching their name or or it might even just being ideas like you had one the other day like that just said i love my body mm-hmm. and you were just talking about how growing up you really never heard a woman say i love my body mm-hmm. and why is that and why you know why do women so rarely say that and how can we change that and sort of just bring forth ideas that maybe need you know, highlighting. Um, And so you're sort of just using your platform because how many, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, how many Instagram followers this whole thing resulted in you having? Um, For Badass Cross Stitch, I think it's somewhere around 70,000 right now. Right. So you ended up with, and I don't know how many you had before all of this happened, but it wasn't that. No, no. I mean, my Insta is not even that old. So, but prior to that, I think I had like, you know, 15,000 prior to, you know, so in the last year it's gone up tremendously. Okay. So you ended Mm -hmm. up as a result of all of this work. I mean, it's not that it's not been work on your part. It wasn't accidental, you know, but as a result of all of this, you've ended up with this massive platform and a huge Mm -hmm. audience. And, um, and so you've got an opportunity there to do something. And so you've really been using it to say something um, with it. Am I right about that? Oh, definitely. I feel incredible pressure, but not pressure, responsibility at this point um, to, so, you know, in the beginning I would just post things and, you know, it didn't matter, right? Like I was just posting for fun, but, but now there's each post is like takes a lot of energy and thoughtfulness in order to feel comfortable putting it out there um, in order to like be supportive, encourage, you know, positive conversation and positive interaction. Um, Because I think that the internet and social media can get really ugly really quickly. Um, And, and especially when talking about hard topics. Um, So I feel this great responsibility to, um, set people up for success and like, like set the tone, um, for how I want people to communicate with each other, um, online and through Instagram, but most especially on like through my community. Um, so it, it, it does take a lot of, um, effort on my part. Um, but one, like what an honor that I get to, that I get to do that. Do you have, specific things you do to set that tone? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will write everything out and, and think about it for days before I end up posting it. Like I have posts lined up for the next week that I'm still considering and still considering how I want to, how I want to say something, um, with, uh, with the young woman Mink, um, who is the lacrosse player that I I sort of featured recently. Um, In that scenario, I was working with um, one of her mentors on language and um, how, like, what should the action item be and how do we keep it positive? Because these are incredible young women that we want to be, you know, um, supporting, but still bringing up an issue that is really important. and so we went back and forth on on sort of what the copy was going to be and how we were going to frame um, the ask and and before we you know went public with it. Wow, yeah, there's a lot more thought that goes into it than one might see 
when you just read it casually. And I wondered a few things about that sort of following up with that. One of them is around developing a thick skin because um, the internet can be rough. And I know there have been times, you know, um, in my own writing. So I, I sort of can consider myself an activist in an sort of somewhat of a different way, maybe an activist journalist in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, I do a lot of activism through writing Mm -hmm. and try to make change and within an industry, um, that's sort of the role that I play. And, um, and I've done that for a number of years. And as a result of doing that, um, I often, uh, get angry emails and also angry messages <laughs> um, mm-hmm. from people. Not everybody is happy with sure. things and people sometimes are quite upset. Um, and, you know, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about, and, and you're you're treading in much more political waters than I am, um, <laughs> or sort of more overtly. I mean, I think everything mm-hmm. is is actually a political water and we can talk about that too, but um, <laughs> but you're, you're much more overtly political, shall we say, and overtly con- controversial big, big C controversial. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm imagining you're, you're really getting a lot more of it than I am. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering how you, how, how are you dealing with the, the really awful and, and sometimes, you know, a post like the kinds of posts that you're creating can get picked up, for example, on one of these, um, message boards of, you know, people who are, on the dark web or something like that, where mm-hmm. once they've picked it up, um, they don't know anything about you, but they're just going to come in and, and seriously troll, you know, mm-hmm. and um, attack really. Um, and it can be really nasty. So I just wondered how, how do you, how do you sort of deal? Yeah. I mean, I have a pretty stringent role around like, I will just block you. Right. Like we're not even going to have a conversation if what you're saying is like vitreous or or, um, threatening, you know, lots of death threats and rape threats and all sorts of things um, come through. You have gotten death threats and rape threats. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, But that like you just get blocked. Right. Like we're not I don't like some folks like we'll leave those up. Um, as a way of like showing what happens or, you know, they have rules around like I don't delete comments or posts or, or, um, you know, block people. And I'm just like, no, this is my, this is my community and I am going to protect them and I'm going to protect, protect myself. So it's constant monitoring so that I can, um, delete and block when necessary. But as the, Um, as the monitor, you, mm -hmm. you see them all. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So even though you're the protector, you are the one who sees it all. So every rape threat, yeah. you've seen that rape. So you have to read it first before. It oh, goes. definitely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, my skin's Kevlar at this point. Um, <laughs> it, it just is. And, yeah. and, you know, I'm also, so I'm a trained mediator. Um, so I have, you know, there are situations where it's not that, right? Like it's just somebody who disagrees with me or who yeah. has a different opinion sure. or, um, and those things, like, I think can lead to really interesting conversations. And it, folks are usually quite disarmed when you don't come at them with, like, you're wrong or, you know, like, 
I, I want to talk to people. I want to know what their, their opinions are. I want to know why they think differently than me. Um, and so I, I can have these conversations um, in a way that I think uh, sort of disarms people. And then, you know, we both walk away with a different sense of what just happened. And in a lot of ways, I can, um, I can fold them into the community because of how I respond to them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then the other, um, the other thing I wanted to ask about was I also get this other um, comment often, which is keep politics out of it. I, <laughs> I came to this craft blog because I want to relax and <laughs> I want you to not have any politics here. Um, I don't know why you would bring politics into this conversation. And, um, you know, and my reaction to that is that every Thing is political, right? So your choice to say that is a political choice. Um, And there is actually nothing that is not political. That is like, that's an impossible thing that you're saying. Um, So that is how I feel, but I don't know um, what your response is to that. Um, Well, nobody says that to me because everything I do is political. So (laughs) they're just sort of like, oh, yeah. I mean, if I do something that's not political, they're like, I don't understand. Like, why why are you like, you know, doing this happy message? That's not what we're here for. Like, let's talk the hard stuff. Um, But uh, I recently read the book on tyranny, um, which is just an amazing book. by Timothy Snyder. And one of the, one of his quotes, which I have now stitched onto, um, a vintage handkerchief is life is political, not because the world cares about how you feel, but because the world reacts to what you do. And like every move we make, every word we say, um, has politics and, and a political connotation to it, whether we see it as that or not, we tell the world constantly, where we align and what our values are and what our motivations are. And to me, that's, that is politics. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So uh, like you can't quote escape politics or like cut politics out because you want to relax. Like it's just not, it's like being able to relax and, and not think about politics is political. Right. Right. That's a, that's a privilege that, so many people don't have. Exactly. And so it just fascinates me when, when that happens. So you can send them to my stitch next time. Okay. <laughs> like, hold on, I've got a stitch for you. <laughs> okay. That's, um, I think that that's a really, a really important point. Um, okay. And, uh, all right. Uh, I'm thinking a little bit about your, your next, um, two, two next things that you have coming up. One of them is that you're giving a commencement speech. Is that right? Is that coming up soon? Yeah. Yeah. I got to write that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) put that on your to-do list. Yeah, Uh, it's there. Um, June, June 13th. Yeah. I'm going to Philadelphia to Drexel university to, um, speak, uh, to do the commencement address for the honors college. Cool. What are you talking about? I have no idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my message is always do stuff, right? So it'll be a much cleverer way of saying, like, go do stuff. Meaning, like, <laughs> do stuff in what way? Like, are you? I think you were you had talked. Um, I heard you talking a, a little bit at one point about sort of perfectionism and sort of just sort of don't overthink things. Is it that kind of do stuff? 
Yeah, like this idea of progress over perfection and valuing progress instead of um, being stymied by by the idea of perfection, um, which I didn't even know was a thing um, until a conversation I had a couple of years ago with some folks who were just like, well, you know, I'm a pro- procrastinator because I'm a perfectionist. And I like, it was literally this mind blowing moment where I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what is that correlation for you? Help me understand. And we had this amazing conversation about how their quest for perfection causes them to never start things or, or even if they do start things, they never release something, right? Or like, like take action on it outside of the planning of it because it's never perfect. So because they're never at a hundred percent, they, they either don't start or they can't do anything with it, which just blew my mind because I'm just not programmed that way. Um, and so I started to think about like, okay, well, what's my creative process and what's my process for, for doing things. And, um, I recently had a conversation um, on a, a podcast about, uh, you know, the the host was like, yeah, well, 80% is my number. If I can get it 80%, then I'm like, good to go. And I was like, that's awesome. I wonder what my number is. <laughs> I was like, I really think it's like 20%. <laughs> like, like if I'm like 20% there, I'm like, yeah, let's do this and see what happens. <laughs> and so I really, um, that message and, the, and just that, that paradigm got me, got me really tripped up and, and really wanting to sort of, um, help folks just because I, I think that's how we get stuck or, or like they, there's so much to offer the world. Um, but they, you know, they, um, they undermine their own value, um, by, by searching for this like perfect when uh, like 50% is epic, Right. And that that can create the change and that can be the spark that that grows the thing. That's such a great message. I think that's a fantastic message. And I have to say, like, I'm with you. I'm totally not a perfectionist, which is why people send me messages all the time. And they're like, there's a typo in paragraph two. And I'm like, like, I know. Thanks. I'll fix it again. I know. I'm yeah. Yeah. Um, Because like, I would rather just hit publish and have a typo in paragraph two. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Although unstitching things is a little painful. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's true. Actually, that's one of the reasons I love to sew is that it actually makes me slow down and take my time because typically I sort of rush through everything and um, sewing is the way that I have to be more careful. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's good for me. It makes me be more perfect because if you rush when you sew, everything's going to be backward and you're going to have to just start over. So sewing is my way of um, becoming more of a perfectionist, which is what I need. <laughs> so love it. Love that. Yeah, I'm like the opposite of everyone else. But um, <laughs> okay. And then you have another project that you're working on that sounds really epically huge called Badass Her Story. And I wanted you to have some time to plug that and talk a little bit about it. So because it sounds participatory, and I think people might want to hear about it and be able to participate. Awesome. Yeah, this is the most ambitious thing I've ever done. Um, you know, sort of after the experience of the end gun violence project and seeing that folks will do things if, um, if asked and, and provided, you know, guidelines and opportunity, um, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to do another big craftivism project, but I'm not, 
I'm not going to do it until I, it's good and I know what it is and it comes to me, right? Like I needed it to come to me. Um, and it has come to me and I've been working on it for the last six months. It's going to launch on June 2nd. Um, and it's called Badass Herstory. And really what I'm doing is um, inviting every woman, female identified or gender non-binary human on the planet to stitch me their story, whatever that means to them, whether it's words or visual representation, whether they're quilting it or felting it or embroidering it um, in a 12 by 12 square with a one inch margin, uh, so 13 by 13, um, and then and then send it to me. And um, phase two of the project will be to create massive um, 3D structures that we then use these stories to skin um, in order to create a, a giant art um, exhibit. And then there will be a digital component, which will be um, an online archive slash museum um, where there'll be a photo of each piece and then information about each artist and sort of whatever they want to share about their story and their, their, um, their history um, as a, the digital component to go with the, um, the analog uh, art piece. And so, um, but low key, it's, this is really a community organizing project. It's just disguised as like a fiber artist craftivism project. Um, the, the point is that I want people to get together and to, um, and, and so the project is the way and the mechanism by which I'm trying to create these communities or have these communities created around this project. Um, and then, I have a toolkit for project ambassadors um, who, you know, are the folks who are going to um, create and host these gatherings, stitch ups um, that will take the the experience from we're here to um, figure out our story and and stitch it to, you know, because that's going to take a while, right? You got to get together a couple times. You can't just do this in one session. And so then once you have your story and you're just executing on this vision, um, then getting together when you do get together to have important conversations around what sort of change you want to see in your community and how as a, a small new community, you can create change in the community in which you live and what does that look like and how do you mobilize and how do you um, roll this into uh, civic engagement? Got it. Okay. So how can people um, sort of get notified for when like um, information's available for, you know, when they can get all the, the goods that they need yeah. to get started? Yeah. Badassherstory.com. Okay. Um, or on Instagram, badassherstory. Got it. Actually, I'm on every social platform as Badass Herstory. So okay. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're okay. there. Okay, cool. So people <laughs> yeah. can head over, sign up, and um, that way they'll get notified. And you said June 2nd yeah. is the launch it's, date. Yeah, that's my 40th birthday. So I thought that'd nice. be a good time to launch. <laughs> All right. Yes. I feel like turning 40 is sort of this wonderful um, moment of like, what do I want to do with my life? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm psyched for yeah. it. And so this is just like um, the added bonus, the, the the added layer. Good. Okay. Plus I needed a deadline, so. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's that. Great. All right, okay. cool. Um, yeah. Great. And I want to get to your recommendations. You had a couple of things that you wanted to recommend that you're loving right now. So the first one is, I think it might be an Instagram account. So it's at Chi Arts Boys. 
Yes, Chi Arts Boys. Oh, sorry, Chi. No, that's Arts okay. Boys. So it's, it's Chicago. C H I O, like Chicago. Yeah, Chi. Got Chicago. it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. These these two young men um, I met a year ago, and I taught them how to embroider for part of the End Gun Violence Project, um, and they they just picked it up in minutes and were all about it, and have just been. Ah, they're just so cool. Um, and so now we meet regularly and we, you know, we work on things and they came up with their own Instagram account and I made them business cards and now they're just like, they're just creating some really cool stuff and I'm, I'm just really proud of them. Um, How old are they? 19, I think 18 and 19 or 19 and 20. That's awesome. And now they're like embroidering. Yeah, they're like creating spectacular art and and really telling their story as like young black men in Chicago. And it's just really neat to see, um, you know, how they're how they're owning it and and what they're creating as a result of it. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. What a cool thing. Okay, that's awesome to go check out. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. The bold type on Freeform. Yeah. It's a TV show. Um, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. I thought for sure that I was going to hate it because it's it, it, it was just one of those like, oh, is this going to be sort of this um, faux feminist um, bubblegum TV show? And then I started watching it and I was like, actually, this is brilliant. And each episode is like incredibly challenging topics that I can't actually believe they're covering. and And they're doing it through this, you know, like quirky, adorable sort of story. But um, yeah, I just, I binge watched the whole first season and um, like am gearing up for season two. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> like, I don't ever, I don't watch TV. Like I haven't watched TV and I don't, I don't know, like many years, like a very, mm-hmm. a wow. very long time. <laughs> I love TV. <laughs> um, so um, I have like no frame of reference. Um, <laughs> but for people who watch TV, this sounds like, like a show. No, it's like really terrible because I go to parties and people talking about TV and I'm like, oh, yeah, uh yeah, I have no idea what you're saying. I'm sorry. You're so funny. You're like, TVs, yeah, that's That's a thing. That's a thing that people do on the Netflix. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you're saying, but okay. Um, All right. The Welcome Blanket Craftivism Project. Yeah, that's um, uh, Jaina who was one of the co-founders of the the Pussy Hat Project, started the um, the second sort of project, which are welcome blankets. And people are knitting and crocheting um, blankets to welcome new immigrants and refugees into the country. So as they come in, they're getting a handcrafted welcome blanket with a letter from the person who created it, welcoming them into the country. And I just think it's it's astounding. And the the sheer number that she has already collected is it's so powerful to see and it, it it gives me so much hope for our world. So I'm just elated. And if I could knit or crochet, I would totally do one, but <laughs> nobody want nobody would want my welcome blanket. <laughs> well, you weave though, right? So I do. I do. And if I had like 300 hours, I would totally weave one. <laughs> Sadly, weaving is very slow. So oh, <laughs> like I am a patient person, but weaving is like the thing. I, I mean, I love to do it because it it forces me to slow down to a level of slowness that I didn't even know I was capable of. 
It's like you think cross stitch is slow. Yeah, weaving. Oh, yeah. Forget it. <laughs> Get it. Weaving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Walshie Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. And you've been listening to the Walshie Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshienaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was brought to you by Folkware. Folkware has over 90 sewing patterns in print from around the world and across the decades. Made with high quality sewing instructions, historic and cultural information, and including handwork instructions to make your garments totally unique, Folkware patterns are truly outstanding. So order yours today and use that coupon code WSN20 at checkout to get 20% off your order. Thank you so much, Folkware. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.